0: Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Angelina Carlson. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based in Beverly Hills. This morning, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Jerry Fu as we have a conversation about conflict resolution. For some background, Dr. Fu is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian Americans as well as others advance with their leadership. Having worked in several leadership positions, Dr. Fu started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian-American professionals deal with the conflicts they encounter at work, with their culture, and within themselves. He started facilitating leadership workshops in 2012. Today, Dr. Fu offers individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. Check out his website at adaptingleaders.com. Welcome, Dr. Fu.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Angelina.
1: Yes, it is a pleasure. So as you had mentioned uh, before we started recording, we're going to have a a rich stew of topics we're going to cover that are going to be a little spicy and maybe a bit controversial. But when people are defining, developing and executing their legacies, I think that there's many challenges they're going to come across people that they're going to meet and individual mindset uh, challenges that they're going to come across, whether it's limiting beliefs or breaking through stereotypes. So I'm gonna ask you about the alchemy in a moment between being a doctor and coaching individuals but I actually want to start by asking you what's great about the Asian culture because some people might not have exposure to it or their only exposure is the mainstream media
2: oh man yeah I uh, I would start with the food um, you know I, I can't get enough uh, dumplings or noodles or you know sushi or spring rolls or anything else like that I in Houston where I am um, I love doing a dinner tour in Chinatown and every time I take people in, it's never, Oh God, like I never want to come back It's like I want to bring all my friends here. And I want to, you know, I think about, uh, you know, karaoke, right. Where people, you know, kind of, you know, shed their pretenses and they sing and, you know, it's like, I never expected the Japanese to come up with something like this, but you know what, it's really become much more mainstream. Right. And then, you know, I love anime and you know i love the storytelling and the quality of of, uh, of the of the animated uh, characters itself there's just so many great stories out there you know that give a window into japanese culture uh, you know you got a lot of cool swords and you know martial arts and this you know and then there's you know technology and and the and the stereotype is as noisy as we might get with it we're you know we're flattered that people expect us to be smart And that, you know, they expect us to be good at, you know, have certain things, right. That's, there's not certain other stereotypes that imply that we're irresponsible or things like that, but that, you know, people are just like, oh, well, you know, I got scrutinized because they knew, you know, Jerry's gunning for the top grade. And, you know, as annoyed as I got with that, (laughs) I'm flattered that they saw me as a threat to their academic success. So, you know, it's all good.
1: Okay. So the food, the culture, the way to celebrate, whether mm-hmm. it's through karaoke or the different flavors of the food. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay. And just uh, also just to break the ice, um, you mm-hmm. come from Taiwanese parents and they came to the United States to pursue their master's program. Mm-hmm. And then, so you are a first American born here.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Just wanted to just in case somebody had questions and <laughs> all right.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. So I just want to start with some people may think there's a difference between the niches of pharmacy and conflict coaching, Mm -hmm. but to me, one is visible alchemy and the other is invisible alchemy. Mm -hmm. What say you?
2: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's not an either or; it's a both and. uh, Largely because uh, in pharmacy, uh, where I've you know been practicing for 16 years, um, you know for a while now, and you know, there's a lot of clinical skills that they teach you and you learn a little bit of interpersonal communication, but not a lot. And uh, the truth is, um, in any healthcare setting, yeah, there is a workflow to manage that involves application of your clinical knowledge, but it's just as much about managing your relationships with your team and not just with your patients. And if you have unresolved conflicts, um, that will cut into your ability to, to deliver high quality patient care. Um, you know, and you, given that these medications uh, can be fatal if uh, the wrong dose or the wrong medication is given, right? You can't afford to compromise patient safety just because, like, you don't get along with your physician or like the nurses that you're working with or the technicians that are helping fill these prescriptions uh, have a bad relationship with you. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, so conflict is everywhere. Um, even in the best of relationships, uh, it's not a question of whether or not there's conflict. It's it's more about uh, how well did they handle that conflict?
1: So, what I found was interesting is that as you advanced as a pharmacist within the medical mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. you were invited to serve in leadership positions, but that also meant that sometimes you couldn't be a people pleaser.
2: Oh, you can't be a people pleaser. Like, you yeah, can't. Right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So,
1: here you are advancing and you're invited into management roles. Mm-hmm. and. I would say for you to step into your power or even to step into your legacy and we'll get into your legacy in a moment, Mm -hmm. but it it required you to grow and also to read the landscape and see the landscape as it truly is.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, before, right. Um, I remember a friend asked me 11 years ago, he goes, Hey, are you an approval addict? And I just saw my entire life flash before my eyes, you know, the math team trophies, the instruments, (laughs) you know, the (laughs) academic success. And, uh, you know, you learn quickly, if you expect to survive as a leader, that there's a side of leadership that's difficult and unpopular, it can feel often very lonely as well. Because when you feel like you're the only one standing for a worthy cause, and everyone else is like, not too hard, or nope, I'm just not worth, this isn't worth my time or salt anymore. And you're just like, what do I do with myself? Right. Um, And yeah, basically, when I started to take on leadership positions, and, you know, I had technicians who are, you know, not pulling their weight, but Uh, In my um, attempt to give grace and um, avoid the conflict, I was basically enabling them. Because as long as I didn't tell them and show them how they were underperforming and, and even better to... Demonstrate how they could do better so that, you know, we can actually pull, uh, you know, uh, you get be productive again. Um, you know, I actually got written up by management because I was not willing to address these conflicts. Well, you know, I wasn't willing to discipline them. I wasn't willing to fire anybody. And, you know, it weighed on me like I just sat here with all this resentment and self-loathing. And I just felt helpless in terms of how to figure out how exactly I was supposed to engage in the conversation that would be productive without antagonizing them.
1: Right, right. And I do want to mention before we go to this conflict that you're actually like a fun guy. Like you like salsa dancing, you like exploring, you're a foodie, you like mm-hmm. karaoke. So again, if for somebody that I might presume as an extrovert, you love mm-hmm. people. So it's not as if you were going to be a leader that would take on a dictator type of mindset.
2: Mm, well, you thanks, know, like yeah. some people,
1: the power just goes straight to their head.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of funny when, you, when a lot of new leaders, right, they get that title and they're like, okay, now I get to call the shots. And we're like, make me. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, you see like the balloon kind of deflate a little bit. But yeah, I mean that was one tip I took from a leader who kind of I'm all my own style after I realized he was just fun to be around. He's fun to learn from. And right. as long as he's fun, as long, if you're fun to be around, people won't be afraid to engage you. And then number two, if you're fun to learn from now, they're more receptive to what you have to tell them instead of just, you know, kind of having to twist their arm to conform to, you know, the things right. that you think they should follow.
1: Yeah. So I want to get into for a moment how culturally Asian Americans typically look at conflict, but before I do, I want to, to share that the demographics are changing. For instance, uh, the new luxury buyers, many of them are out of China. Um, also with luxury buyers, many of them, uh, I would say maybe over 50% these days um, are of a mixed race or they are a minority. So I think that the landscape is changing and with that comes um, new identities and, um, Having the knowledge or the cultural sensitivity to know, you know, what is it that they're thinking, what are their needs, what's important to them. So would you shine a flashlight for a moment into how, traditionally speaking, many Asian Americans look at conflict or how you were raised to look at conflict?
2: Yeah, sure you know, I can think of two examples come to mind and, you know, we can unpack one or both depending on our time and energy. Uh, the, the first example I used to share with people is the time in, in college when one of my, um, Korean friends, uh, who was, who grew up in the U S but, you know, from a Korean family, was, he called me up and says, Hey, I'm road tripping, uh, through your area of town. Uh, you know, you want to, you want me to stop by and hang out for a couple of days. And, you know, this summertime, I was like, yeah, sure, man, come on and hang out.
1: Right. And, right. And,
2: uh, you know, he comes over my, you know, I asked my mom, of course, beforehand, I'm just like, hey, mom, you know, my friend's coming over. Can, can you hang out for a couple of days? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and then, you know, we're hanging out a couple of days. And, you know, my mom's a great host. And then, you know, he leaves. And then my mom's like, can you believe him? Like, he didn't make his bed. He didn't. And like, can, I just, can I
1: just intrude for a moment sure. about the Asian culture? One yeah. thing is um, compliments are meant for strangers, not for <laughs> their own children. Yep. And second, uh, reading the silence when the, the the critical checklist comes out. Okay, continue.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and I had I learned the hard way, you know, that oh, when you stay over at someone's house, uh, you leave the room exactly the way you found it, if not better. Right. Correct. You Correct. leave the bathroom as if it is it's never been touched, and, and I make like sure a, of that
1: right. And it's like a sign of respect.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It. Yes. But. But for some reason, like we're not allowed to tell them before they make the mess or even while they make the mess or after they make the mess. And so we just quietly like tie off that friendship and let it kind of drift after we're done because they're like, nope, they didn't play the game. They didn't win the secret game. So nope, they must not be a real friend. Um, Right, and and the judgment comes. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah. Yeah, and I I wanted to bring up this point because a lot of times if somebody didn't have an Asian friend growing up they might mm -hmm. not know how to read this landscape. Mm-hmm. And they could walk into even a situation in business. I mean, I have been and I'll share this quickly and then I want you mm-hmm. to go on to your next story yeah. um, at a at a business table. And there were some very aggressive uh, business people and they thought that the other side was making calculations on their cell phone and they were oh. of an Asian background. OK, so you know what I'm about to say. They were actually making dinner reservations because they had already been offended and they checked out. So I think that this knowledge is both good socially as well as in business. When you're defining, developing, executing your legacy, go ahead, Jerry.
2: No, I mean, yeah, you know, same thing with. uh, I had a situation with a a friend of mine uh, I grew up with, and he's Muslim, uh, but he was for some reason was dating an Asian Christian, uh, you know, classmate in, in college, and at one point, you know, they had a fight, and and so he reaches out to me because I'm Christian, and he's like, hey, you know. Um, how do I deal with some of these things? And so I, I share with him some scripture that I thought would be helpful and that that was actually kind of seeming inconsistent or they were, in, you know, in contradictory of each other. He goes, well, what takes precedence? And I said, well, it's not about whether or not one takes precedence. It's not either or it's both. And right. Anyway, I, I walk. These with are scripture. the nuances.
1: These are yeah, the nuances. Exactly. Yeah. And so,
2: you know, I, I, so I share with him a couple of passages that might be helpful in, in trying to reconcile with her. And then he copies me in on the email that uh, he sends her and I, I'm just mad because he basically just kind of copy pasted things to fit his argument. It wasn't about like, reading the scripture and then saying okay this is what i gleaned from this it is no this is my argument and this is how my scripture like the scripture supports my argument for us to be together things like that and i i mean i told my mom because this was over another summer break i was just like, mom i'm not happy with him like i got and then no, no 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 don't 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 it's not worth it's not worth upsetting him over something like this like just just, you just take time and just sleep on it and you'll you'll get over it and i'm sitting there thinking this is this is not healthy Right. Compared to go.
1: what she's saying is like internalize it, to be silent compared to directly confronting or.
2: Yeah. 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 It's like, it's not worth It's You, you don't want to like antagonize them or, or jeopardize the friendship, um, you know, by bringing this up, if you're upset with them, as opposed to, you know, the relationships that I know that are strongest in my life now, even personally, um, uh, especially personally, right. No, like if there's a problem, I want you to tell me so we can deal with it. Right. So and we it's healthier. Go- Exactly. So we can go back to, oh, this is, this is how we get back to enjoying around being each other again. Let's figure out a solution together because we're committed to this friendship and uh, yeah, we'll move on. So we don't dwell on it. Right.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of it is the mindset is also sometimes uh, culturally uh, uh, one is expected mm-hmm. to blame themselves mm-hmm. and yeah. take on that burden compared to having the courage and setting aside the time to articulate to the other party, hey, this bothered me. Let me tell you, you know, from my perspective, they just bottle it up inside. And they've got this whole universe of thoughts and feelings on the inside. Mm-hmm. And unless you can read that silence, you don't even know what's brewing underneath the surface. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, one, no one wants to come across as whiny, because that's just, you know, that's just, you know, that's not like the strong, silent, you know, uh, strength that we're supposed to have, right? We're just supposed to, you know, keep that internalized. And if we are really strong, we're not going to show weakness. We're not going to show that we're upset. We're not going to show these things. And on one hand, yeah, you want to maintain your composure, but um, part of maintaining composure is the willingness to share what's, what's upsetting you.
1: <laughs> and giving voice to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what I, I think that it's so interesting about that is uh, it does take vulnerability and it takes mm-hmm. courage and it is countercultural. Yeah. On more absolutely. than one level. Yeah.
2: Oh, every level, yeah.
1: All right, but as you moved forward in leadership and management positions, you had to step up. You oh. couldn't expect employees and associates to read your mind or to know like your prior thirty years of how you were brought up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. One of the one of the earliest mistakes I made um, when I started with my current pharmacy job was um, I brought on technicians that I'd worked with at my previous company uh, when we were starting this out, and the mistake I made. Was um, assuming that they worked and they had enough work experience to know like what was expected of them, you know, show up on time, you know, make, you know, work hard, communicate, collaborate, find solutions, learn quickly. And very quickly, I saw that as long as I was not enforcing consequences for things that were, um, you know, uh, causing problems with team unity and resentment and things like that. Um, They didn't take me seriously. They didn't respect me as a leader. You know, I, I wanted to be the laid back guy that's just like, Hey guys, here's a, here's a ton of autonomy. You know, as long as we get the results we want, you know, do, do, do what you want with it. And you learn quickly that uh, not everyone uh, buys into that, or they see your silence as, uh, as that things are okay. And, you know, it's like, okay, so you have to find that mix of, okay, let's, let's step in here and see how things are going and make sure that um, we don't allow people to devolve into bad habits because they think that they can get away with them.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to point the flashlight for a moment that um, if you don't tell employees or others what you need from them, how are they Mm -hmm. gonna know? But but on the other hand, if how you've been raised is to not give voice to that, that mm -hmm. is a brand new skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, so what was that like internally for you?
2: Yeah, it was, oh, it was terrifying <laughs> when I didn't think I'd have to, like, I felt like I was spoon feeding them to say, Hey, you know, be here on time. And by being here on time, that means, you know, clocking in by right. 9.03 AM, right? Like you have to leave no room for communicate for confusion as to what you mean by on time, like to be completely crystal clear. Right. Um, there are times when uh, you like, because I have a tech who likes to do that, she she claims that if you allow her, you know, to improv on principles, like balancing out, you know, take care of the patient versus make money, like sometimes those two are in conflict, and she just wants help, like she wants more rules to help her kind of, you know, sort through trying to, you know, reconcile these two um, potentially conflicting principles. But then at the same time, like I give her so many rules that she starts to dance around them and look for like loopholes or like she pushes boundaries. And so
1: he's testing. Um,
2: oh, every day. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's just a strange mix of, okay. Uh, some people, uh, at the ones that Henry cloud calls wise people, right. You just say, Hey, here's a bunch of autonomy. Here's some guidelines. Um, you know, I'll check in with you every once in a while, but you know, you seem like you're creative and resourceful and and dependable. So, you know, for the most part, I'm going to just stay out of your way, right? Mm-hmm. Other people like mean well, but then the execution isn't quite there, and so for them, right, you need to kind of do the Amazon one-click, right? The, the very <laughs> smooth, like like do this, do that, do this, right? Give them a, a very. Uh, piecemeal but very thorough system that kind of helps them kind of like bumper pool down the lane and and hit make a strike right and, and when you're bowling and then there's others that are just uh, for whatever reason it's in their minds that they have to sabotage uh, everything that's that's in front of them Finding a way to to put the blame on somebody else and just bleed, you know, company money. But that's a whole nother conversation.
1: Yeah, and I and I wanted to bring this up because um, one of the things that we talked about before we started recording today is um, I think the demographic demographics are changing, and we may see more Asian American leaders on the cover of Forbes, Fortune, et cetera, and so forth. And also in the world of politics, there was a what was the Indian gentleman's name on Netflix?
2: Asan Minhaj, the Maybe Yes, yes.
1: Okay. And he had talked about the uh, politician who had run or tried to run. I don't know how far he made it. And he was out of Orange County and um, what he came across both probably externally, but as well as internally. And so I think you're speaking to an experience that, um, and I don't know what it is for millennials or Gen Z today, depending on if they're immigrant, I'm sorry, if their parents immigrated here and -hmm. how they think and how they were raised. Um, In terms of... You know what they have to go through in terms of their rite of passage, mm-hmm. because as somebody is required to grow for their their job, their work, their position, or who they are as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. it, it, some of these beliefs are going to be challenged regarding you know what's acceptable and how one speaks if they do speak. And so I think what you've gone through is something that you know you can speak into that they too may find themselves in, and thus you you are a conflict resolution coach now. <laughs>
2: yeah it's uh it's alarming and I've and I mean I I feel bad and get frustrated too when I, I even that when I have to confront other Asians and you know I get the same avoidance behaviors and and like overly passive deference that I used to do and I know how frustrating it is to have to deal with that and you know from I've, because I'm guilty of it right like I got fired from you know a job I moved to Houston for because I was at some point I just was too passive and too fearful of my boss to engage because I know how much I'd upset
1: her. Right, right. And I know you've you've got a great sense of humor regarding the roadmap to getting fired, but I, I want to <laughs> point the <laughs> I want to point the flashlight for a moment yeah. to, okay, so your your parents came over here and they pursued a master's degree mm-hmm. and their experience in finding continuous employment, mm-hmm. this isn't their country. And I could only imagine how often they must have felt emotionally like outsiders.
2: Yeah, well, of course. I mean, that it's by default, right? Um,
1: But many people don't know that. Sorry. Yeah, of course.
2: No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like it is from our standpoint, we know because we've seen it up close. But you know, for those who don't, yeah, right. Um, My parents came over from Taiwan because they got tired of China's threats to to Taiwan, and you know, they decided to do grad school here and attempt to you know make up make their own lives for themselves, and then um, proceed to you know, my dad despite having multiple master's degrees, uh, you know, struggle to find gainful work, you know, cause they said, Oh, well, you're overqualified. You're just going to leave as soon as another offer comes along. And it's like, how do you know that? Like, you don't even know, uh, you to, for you to assume that is, uh, just tell him you're not going to hire him, but don't tell him that he's too good for the job. Right. In the intellectual um,
1: justifications.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, just to, you know, to kind of be, new to the scene and you know people take advantage of that right they they understand that you're naive and you don't have a frame of reference right you know in terms of etiquette or pricing or things like that and you know um you see it on the other side too right like when people go to china and try to buy stuff and like they they're like oh they're foreigners we can mark up our prices because they don't know like how to haggle (laughs) right right and
1: i think what you're pointing to is uh conscious and unconscious biases Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so I would think that naturally they would want to protect you mm-hmm. because they had to live through those hardships and thus, you mm-hmm. know, your great sense of humor about your parents deciding your future and, you know, having you be set up to marry a certain girl and all mm-hmm. of that. And be- because I think it's it's based out of wanting to protect you so that you yeah. wouldn't go through that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Jewish culture, they call it kneecapping a child. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. It's like if somebody protects too much, then mm-hmm. that child can't grow and experience. But I also want to share a story before you, yeah. you go back to, uh, you know, chatting about some of the bullet points that you'd like to convey. Is I, I had a friend at Penn State, and I'm obviously not going to name names, and mm-hmm. her parents uh, were Asian, and they immigrated here, and they had a very hard time. And and i okay i'm going to shock the audience for a moment but they don't know her so it doesn't really matter but they used to like beat her with a broom in the closet because they wanted her to get such good grades she did become a doctor and so but it's like putting that fear into somebody else even if it's based in love but somebody who's 8 or 10 or 12 doesn't understand that that their parents, have, they've worked three different jobs, they've come home, the kid is being rebellious because they're just being a kid. And the parent is saying, no, you've got to straighten up because if you don't, let me tell you what you're going to face out there. And you're going to be a doctor and whatever you need to do with the residency and the hours. And, and it's such a, an experience, again, that I don't think, you know, enough people talk about. And then they're left as an adult to unpeace, un, un mm-hmm. to find happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, freedom.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it, right? Yeah, the Asian shame can, is great at making you do things. It doesn't really work to make you love things, right? And then, you know, you do these things to gain approval and finally feel like you've made it. And then you achieve like the MD and the married and the and the kids. And then you realize, no, like you're not done. Like, but the, the, your parents basically told you that's all you need to do. Yeah have a career, get married and have kids. And you'll be, you know, that's, that's the mark of success. And then you, you're you like, oh, what do I do for the next 30 years? Like I still have to work as a doctor. I can't just become a doctor. I, I got to raise kids. Uh, you know, it's just a different set of challenges that they don't tell you until uh, that you don't find out about until you're already, you know, you've already jumped in the pool and, and, you know, you can't get out. Like you got to keep swimming.
1: Right. Right. Yes. So is there anything else before I move on to the next question that you would want the listener or the viewer to know regarding navigating conflict, what might come with it, or even something that's helped you, whether it's like the 10-second rule of courage or anything that could be useful?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, some, some good source material I've, I've, I've drawn from to kind of make my own recipe. You could say uh, there's a great book on Amazon called Difficult Conversations, uh, and then the one that um, I went through some leadership training with uh, focused on a book called The Four Conversations, specifically called one called the Closure Conversation, where you know if expectations are not met, these are the here are some principles to how to make sure this conversation goes well. Like don't wait too long, right? Don't let people off the hook. Um, you know, apologize. Well, you don't have to apologize for something that you didn't do, but apologize that you know learn to say I'm sorry. Uh, things aren't better between us, right? Or I'm sorry that this did not go as planned. And, you know, just acknowledge that, yeah, there's a problem that you and I need to fix and I need your help doing it. Um, Yeah, part of it is imagining what a successful conversation would look like or sound like, right? Um, 10 seconds of courage is a huge one because People are just terrified and they think, oh, I got to be like a superhero in order to get this thing and charge ahead. It's like, no, you just need 10 seconds to get the ball rolling. So that way you can't like back out once you've kind of started things. Right. Um, Script your critical moves. Right. Don't just try to like have it all like rolling around in your head, like get it out on paper. What are the specific things you want to address and then rehearse them? Right. Um, You know, get that muscle memory, get, you know, practice in a mirror, record yourself. Right make sure your tone is confident and calm. make sure that uh, your posture in, uh, projects confidence. Right. And then, um, you know, on another podcast, we talked about like the four C's, which are like uh, compassion uh, for the other person, curiosity to lean into a situation, um, collaboration to, uh, to realize that you two are actually on the same side, like working toward a bigger uh, solution and then uh, closure, uh, you know, just to say, Hey, you know what, this is, uh, you know, that, that, that you can find it, right? And that you can experience it and enjoy it uh, once you've come to that resolution.
1: And I know that you're you're big on closure.
2: hmm Oh, super big. Yeah. Tell me,
1: tell me why that's important.
2: Um because basically um I think of situations both for myself and for others, right? So uh I'll give a I'll give an example. So at one point I had a Victor roommate and you know the the default for me for conflict for most of my life and still really is because it's a habit i continue to fight daily is that i just want to stay comfortable and just trust that oh well you know he knows he's defaulted on the lease and you know he knows that he should move out before i call the cops on him which did not happen um until you know some friends with a lot of encouragement and we you know we're game planning finally i'm just like i gotta say this because i know i can't tolerate this any longer right and then you know, after this guy realized that empty promises uh, to get me the money were not going to offset the many extensions that he requested and I granted, and he still failed to meet, mm-hmm. uh, when I told him, I was like, nope, like the, your money's no good. Like, if you do get any money, uh, use it to only then did he uh, start to move things into boxes to finally actually move out. and the you know the day he finally you know was able to give me back the keys and and move out of the house I tell you Angelina like that night just felt like the biggest weight off my shoulders just whoosh right yeah it's like oh I'm so glad this is over with right instead of oh you know I just want to stay comfortable and oh I'm frustrated but oh I don't want to
1: yeah well it feels like you know sometimes people can pit themselves against and that's like Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes the only way around it is through it, mm-hmm. but it's never fun. You know, you spoke for a moment ago about uh, closure and uh, curiosity and, and um, the other C that I can't remember right and now. Compassion.
2: Yeah, compassion yeah. collaboration, Yeah.
1: What comes to mind is I think humans are often hardwired to want the comfortable and the easy. And so we really have to get out of our comfort zone to say, I would like to think and not be emotionally lazy
2: mm-hmm.
1: or intellectually yeah. lazy. And, but that takes effort and it takes um, a great coach. I'm going to plug coaching right there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As well, as well as a community around them to say, Hey, don't just rest on your laurels. Let's have those difficult conversations compared to being surrounded by a bunch of yes, people that enable bad habits.
2: Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. It. Yeah.
1: Cause how, you know, there's a saying, and, and sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not, but the saying is how, how somebody does one thing is how they do everything. So if they're, um, you know, trying to slide in one area of their life, it's also because no one else is calling out their junk in in Mm -hmm. the other areas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, speaking of comfort zones, let's move on to a growth mindset. So I, I, I love the fact that you've talked about the subject of rejection because with being an entrepreneur, you're going to deal with rejection, the cold calling, all of it, you know? Hitching yeah. one-on-one, one-on-many group sessions, all of it. Being an entrepreneur is asking somebody 50,000 times if they'd like a glass of water and being able to handle it if they say no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah the growth mindset, that's definitely, I mean, I'll be happy to admit that rejection for me, um, there are certain areas in my life where I overcame it more easily than other, you know, I offer yourself and they say no. And you say, Okay, well, thank you for not wasting my time, right? You have to frame it in the best way possible. And then you just realize, hey, you know what? A door closed means I get to move on. And that's perfectly great.
1: Right, right. What I liked that you spoke to with Courage is that one of the growth areas for you is not counting yourself out. And I'm, mm. and I'm just going to call, I'm going to name it. Okay. I realize I'm putting yeah. you on the spot. That's <laughs> no, fine. Please do. So overcoming, seeing yourself as unattractive. And the reason I bring that up is because I have coached clients that feel the same way about them and feel that same way about themselves. And then that becomes something that cripples them in business and in life. And even if nobody else sees it.
2: Yeah that's painful, right? I mean, you too often, right? I mean, like when I was, I remember asking out a girl I really liked, and then she said, no. And I said, you know, why? Like, so I, so if I'm a good cook and I'm a good musician, I'm a good dancer, I guess, apparently that means nothing. You know, if I didn't get the girl that I wanted, then, then you realize, well, you know, if you have an abundance mindset, there's more than enough opportunities out there. It's only when you have a scarcity mindset where you're like, oh no, that's one less opportunity available to me. Right. Right.
1: Yes. Yes. And I'm glad that you reframed yeah. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Very yeah. good. And as I mentioned to you before, if I was at a salsa club, I'd dance with you. I wouldn't you. be cold. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so what I liked about that is um, you're no longer clipping your own wings.
2: Yeah. That's a great way of putting it for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: And one of the things you've also said is instead of, um, you know, having the what's wrong conversation, you know, I, yeah. I frame it out. There's a what's wrong conversation, then what's wanting to happen. So we got to mm-hmm. come over to hear what's wanting to happen. Yes. Okay. You frame it out as what is it costing you?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, I have a reminder on my phone every day, actually. At 11 o'clock, it chimes and says, and asks me, what is your hesitation costing you? Right. <sighs>
1: um,
2: yeah. And just uh, checks me every single day yeah I'm just hesitating too much and I'm, I'm losing out on a potential deal right I'm losing out on a potential uh networking buddy I'm losing out on a potential uh you know uh, opportunity to improve myself or learn something new because I'm just afraid to ask
1: yeah. or bring your talents and your knowledge to this world
2: exactly yeah. right
1: like Thanks. how many Asian Americans right now could use your guidance mm-hmm. in corporate America or even outside of corporate America
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah I mean it's it's kind of interesting to flip on that because you know we, we joke around that with asians we're very private we're very prideful it's like we don't want to admit that we need this help and right. we don't want to share that we need this help with other people right we don't want to admit oh no no no, i'm, I'm fine like I'll, I'll get through it it's like well you know you i'm not here to refute what you're saying about yourself and at the same time you know how's that working for you like you let me know like in a couple <laughs> weeks that this is still working for you um and i'm not saying that to like be you know obnoxious or anything like that, but you know, I know what kind of help I needed, uh, right. which is why I became a coach and why I've, I've enlisted the help of coaches, right? Because I need that powerful mirror just holding up to me and just saying, hey, look, there's some stuff here. Uh, right. how, do you, how do you want to address it? Right. Yeah.
1: And I think that you're reaching a, a laser niche, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's a huge need there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to double. The... Yeah. Ahead.
1: I'm just so sorry to interrupt. Can you hear okay. the screams underneath the iceberg?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Loud and clear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not just, oh, well, I'm not an Asian that's dealing with conflict. I'm of them. What if you're a business owner who employs Asians and they're conflict-averse and they're telling you everything that you need to hear? Because every time you confront them, they just assume, they just want to insist that everything's fine, even though, you know, your numbers are down or, you know, something It's like, yeah, it's, it's not hard to flip that niche into something bigger. Uh, because if you're not Asian, you're dealing with an Asian at some level, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And the knowledge is needed again. Yeah. I, I can't wait till you, you publish your book.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to plug that soon as soon as it's published.
1: <laughs> well, because if it's uh, less scary to buy your book compared mm-hmm. to retain you one on one, I think a, a book they could read privately you
2: yeah. know, and Absolutely. no nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and that's it. That's, uh, that's actually, I don't have face. a full book. Yeah, I don't have a book. <laughs> no, it's a great phrase. Uh, I've heard it so much. But uh, yeah, I mean, I do have a free PDF for download, you know, a framework for, you know, simple a simple framework for hard conversations. So by all means, you know, uh, I remember hearing Francis Chan talk on a talk once. He's like, I know my people, we like cheap. It's like, hey, this is free. Go ahead, right? Just take right. it. And it's, there's no strings attached. It's just download, download the guide. Uh, and, you know, I hope you do like it and I hope it pays dividends. And if it does, please share with the world that, you know, that this document helped you uh, with some challenges in your life, for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I still can't wait for your book as well as video series.
2: No, thanks. I, <laughs> I need to work on that for sure. It's in the pipeline sooner or later.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, one of the things that we that uh, that you've brought up before is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, fortune does not last beyond three generations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, that's uh, I actually first came across that phrase uh, reading a book by Thomas Friedman called The World is Flat. And that book is fairly controversial. It is very informative and insightful, but also very controversial just be given. And and I don't have time to unpack all that. But uh, he talks about that. That is the phrase that a lot of Chinese use because... um, Basically, uh, in his book, he basically talks to Chinese you say, yeah, we want to be the new U.S. We want to be the world dominant force. Right. So a lot of xenophobia and other other discrimination uh, is, you know, based on this belief that, oh, well, if they really want to beat us, then we better, you know, we better do our best to suppress them. Um, but yeah, to go back to this phrase. Right. Uh, the first generation is the one who fought the war right they they plowed the fields they sowed the soil they they established the fortune. Yeah. Yeah, they ahead.
1: hustled, they did the me- menial jobs, they worked yeah. hard to build the house, to take care of everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They worked so hard, right? Cuz they know what they came from and they're like we don't want to go back that you know we want we, we don't want to have to worry about you know where next meal is coming from where next paycheck is coming from so we're going to do the do the work to establish that foundation uh the second generation right is the benef- benefits from this hard work right but mm-hmm. they don't have their own war to fight but they've seen enough where they can say okay well we know kind of how to manage and hold service like okay you know we 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 may not be as grateful for it because we weren't the ones that worked for this but and we built and earned it yeah, yeah we, we understand where it came from. And we're grateful for the, the blessing that has been passed on to us. And then the third generation, you know, they inherited everything. So, you know, if what's what you didn't work for, you're going to waste, right? And it's like, ah, I don't care, <laughs> you know, and he's
1: up celebration yeah, time. <laughs> exactly, Right.
2: I, you know, oh, it came from somewhere. And, you know, that's one thing I had to learn, you know, as a leader was where I realized I couldn't just rescue everyone. Like, I, I feel bad for you know, I think about all these people that work so hard because they saw like uh, my boss, one of my bosses was, you know, his dad had his own company and he talked about, there are some really lean months where, you know, you have to, you know, all you have is like Bisquick and milk and just very cheap food for breakfast. And Mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, I remember Mike Huckabee talking about growing up very poor in Hope, Arkansas and says, you ate everything on your plate because you didn't know, like if you're going to have more food, right. But when people are just like, ah, I don't like green beans, like you overcooked them. I'm not going to eat them. And it's like, Kids, the best way for kids to stop being picky is for them to realize, you know what? If there's nothing else to eat, I better eat this.
1: <laughs> yeah. What? I, and I wanted to point a flashlight for a moment to the second generation because they get to watch their parents in mm-hmm. terms of having a positive role model, mm-hmm. in having some idea of what it is to maintain the wealth. Yes. So, in my work with family businesses, this conversation. Mm -hmm. comes up a lot because how do you teach the second or even the third generation good luck with Mm -hmm. the third generation they (laughs) definitely need positive role models Mm -hmm. and i'm also going to plug here that i find you to be a positive role model because you're doing the internal work um but at least the second generation has somebody that models it for them Mm -hmm. because somebody can talk the talk but if we can watch them walk the walk Mm -hmm. that imprints our subconscious and the repetition much more than yeah yeah Yeah,
2: it is i mean and to some degree you know i did get i did a, i have a work ethic because i saw how hard my parents worked right it wasn't even as my mom wanted to rescue me from like the more difficult things i know how hard my dad worked you know trying to maintain a job or two or three and then my mom was you know just in her efforts to keep us from getting worried right you know she managed to the finances behind the scenes and some way, never had to worry about it but there's no question um i know how much work they put in to give me you know a better life for sure
1: yeah and I just wanted, uh, before we move on, um, mm-hmm. just a point of flashlight for a moment. I think sometimes with the third generation, they need to find their own purpose. Yes. Because one of the things that comes with expectations that's not talked about a lot is mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't reach that standard or their expectation, they can start to give up a little by little by little in life mm-hmm. and not tell anybody because of that pride.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the term I heard from one or two other talks was like affluenza. Sure. People are just depressed because they're bored because, you know, they never had to suffer or be challenged to, you know, take care of themselves. And then they're just, they, they get into just irresponsible thing activities or illicit drugs or other things like that. And it's just like, okay, like how bored are you, you know, to have to think, Oh no, there's, there's this giant world, but I I can't, I'd have no purpose. I, I really don't see the point. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that everybody wants to grow. And have mm-hmm. a purpose, but it's a matter of kind of shifting their energy and redirecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they don't become lost. And some yeah. people can be lost their entire lives or or have expectations. This is what I, <laughs> I call uh, expecting the dog to run up the tree when the dog's not a cat.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. But if somebody yeah. has
1: expectations, they could just not give up on it. And then mm-hmm. when it doesn't manifest, yeah. they're so angry the dog didn't run up the tree when everyone else knows that it's not realistic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, yeah. Like what is, uh, what, what at one point will reality hit you where you you're like, you just, you can, you can be as entitled as you want. And yet the world's not going to shift toward you at all. They're like, Oh, sorry. Right. I learned that quickly. Right. And people rip me off. You know, it was, I'm just like, how dare they? So what they, they took the money. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, uh, here's another point that I want to make before I move Go on ahead. to the, the next question and it's that yeah. I think that what you're bringing forward regarding conflict resolution can mm-hmm. be terrific guidance because mm-hmm. if somebody who's in the second or the third generation they've got all these emotions and they don't know how to handle the conflict the last thing that needs to happen is for them to internalize it because mm-hmm. because you know if they start to internalize it they're going to start to shrivel up and then and then it's just going to be like cognitive dissonance on the inside, unless yeah. they can find a good plan. And if they read a book, that's great. But sometimes, especially the younger generation, they're not going to read a book in the, that medium of communication. So okay. they're going to want to like find the person that, and this is my metaphor for it to, you know, be the Boy Scout or Girl Scout leader to walk them through the forest and yeah. say, Avoid the poison ivy. This is where you walk. This is how you do it. This is avoid the rocks. And yeah, the yeah. this and the that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you have to position yourself as a guide, for sure, because, you know, they're the they're the hero of their own story, right? They have to realize that they are leaving a legacy, whether they do it by design or by default, uh, they're leaving a legacy, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, again, I just uh, want to highlight that I think that you bring a valuable service to the work, to the world regarding navigating conflict because when people don't know how to navigate it, it can go down to the core of identity. And then it's like, well, you're attacking me. And it's like, mm-hmm. nope, just attacking your idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, nothing personal. Let, but that's my idea, right? They attach identity to it. And yeah, I mean, the, I think that one of the, it's it's one of two things, right? When you have a plan, and you have it when you know, you realize, oh, you know, standard operating procedure oh, like something went wrong. Okay, we have the checklist. Let's go through the checklist, right? Like when mm-hmm. oh, you do that. And if you have a clear, straightforward plan, uh, your chances of success go up, right? And at the same time, you still have to execute the plan. Like, so what if you have a plan? If you never actually do it, like you right. can't resolve conflict because com- like resolving conflict is an action and not just, a, not, you can't just study it and hope that it goes away, right? Right. Uh, so yeah, happy to offer that plan of attack for anybody. That's a yeah. challenge for sure.
1: And the other reason why I invited you onto this platform is because I would like um, there to be a number of faces that explain coaching concepts because somebody might be searching for a coach and they could say, well, I don't vibe or relate to that one, but maybe this one spoke to my experience. And I think, like I mentioned to you before, that business coaching is a $10 billion industry and technology is something like $950 billion. I don't, I'm, I, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, yeah. but it, what, it, what it says to me is people are hungry to grow. Now they got to figure out who they will trust in the marketplace to lead them forward, because we're happiest when we're growing.
2: Yeah, it is. Okay. And, you know, coaches are more prevalent than ever. And, you know, I think the best analogy of is just I think of it like ice cream flavors, right? There's plenty of ice cream out there. And honestly, every coach realistically can only, you know, probably handle 15 to 20 clients, like, you know, to really pour into them. Right. Uh, and so to think that somehow, someone is able to, you know, kind of dominate more of the market just because they have more automated online courses is, you know, it's a nice idea, but also unrealistic, right? If they expect to really make a difference on a personal level, um, yeah, like if you're getting a new face-to-face or even virtual face-to-face interactions, so, uh, yeah, 20 is a pretty high, high ceiling for a lot of
1: coaches. Yep. Yep. So they don't burn out. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. And I also just wanted to highlight that I don't think it's uh, how perfect the coach is. I think it's how well the coach understands their pain point.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's compatibility more than anything else because yeah, like it's
1: okay. Well, speaking of the service that you offer, Mm -hmm. the fruit of your legacy, Mm -hmm. what is it that you think that Asian Americans face today? And I just, again, want you to um, shine a flashlight there and pinpoint it regarding what's holding them back. Because again, it's an experience that somebody, who might be in a different type of family or, or who's had a different type of upbringing, you know, won't understand unless you kind of spell it out.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a combination of external and internal challenges, right. Um, you know, an example I'll give is a conversation I had at an international networking event, um, you know, multicultural, but there's an older white gentleman there because I guess he needs, he wanted, he wanted cultures. So <laughs> he showed up and we started talking and, um, you know, he asked me, he goes, Hey, so, you know, all these things about Asian hate crimes are seen in the, in the media lately. Like, like, is it really that big a deal? Like, you know, have you experienced anything like this? And I said, Hmm, you know, I could take this one of two ways, right. And he's genuinely on, you know, this whole like media sensation, things like that. Um, or that he's genuinely concerned that, you know, if I've been jeopardized somehow, um, but the other is that, oh, well, you know, are, is the media just a problem that's not really a problem, right? I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, take the high road, right? Give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I told them, I said, okay, well, you know, thankfully, I have not experienced any physical violence personally. And I'm glad, right? I'm thankful that no one has, like, thrown acid on my face or stabbed me or, you know, even give me verbal abuse, you know, with any racial taunts or things like that. But did you know that here in Houston, Chinatown is actually built in discrimination because well, well, I didn't that? know that. Yeah, this is, okay. this is this is knowledge drop right here, guys. OK, uh, you know, did you know it's built on discrimination? Because what do you mean by that? He says, well, you know, they sequestered all the Asians in like the southwest side of, of town and to add insult to injury. They they divvied up the voting district lines in such a way that you couldn't concentrate all the Chinese into one district so they could actually have a, a vote like for political clout. Right. He goes, oh yeah. And it says so yeah. So just because uh, we are not experiencing more physical violence, like up close and personal does not condone the fact that there's a bigger system of discrimination that just because it's not causing pain is not oppressive. Right. And he's like, oh. And so I said, look, realistically, right. This guy will just be like, oh, that's something to think about. And then walk away and just kind of not change his life or perspective. But you know, you got to (laughs) try.
1: Well, I think, uh, it was something that he hadn't come across before. And one of the things that, you know, with coaching is sometimes that aha moment could happen three days later. Oh yeah. 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 Wow. I know that, uh, there's an expression and the expression is that poverty is the greatest form of violence.
2: Mm, I like that.
1: Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that about, uh, you know, when, when somebody thinks about things politically and with power and, who gets to have a voice at the table who doesn't
2: well it's that yellow peril right as we said right like it, you know they're, they're like if chinese if china really wants to become the dominant world player then you know the, like the the line of thinking is oh well then Ch- every chinese is thinking that and therefore they're going to take away our jobs they're going to take all the power positions and we're going to be oppressed in the same way that we're oppressing them well okay. at least we're going to oppress them before they have a chance to attack us right
1: which is yeah. primal Right. Yeah. yeah so I'm going to get you before you can get me. And I just oh. want to make a distinction here that there's a difference mm-hmm. between the CCP and the Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because the way the news media speaks of it, then people mm-hmm. start to fall into a, like a, you know, a habit of mm-hmm. just making it all China. And it's like, no, the mm-hmm. Chinese people are not deciding the decisions mm-hmm. of the CCP. Okay. Yep. Just wanted yep. to clarify that. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So speaking of perceptions, mm-hmm. uh, some examples could be leadership is hard or... I can't ever be good with overcoming conflict. What are some of the perceptions you've come across, uh, whether it's your own internal dialogue or in coaching others? And again, you've led uh, leadership workshops since 2012. And mm. so you've been in this space for a while.
2: Yeah. I mean, I see it in my own life and, and the people that I coach, you know. Um, yeah, you have for me personally, for the longest time, it was like, leadership is hard. I could never be good at it. So I'm just not going to bother. Like, I'll never, if I'm not good at it after two or three tries, then I'll never be good at it. So I'm just going to stop. Like you just put that ceiling on yourself and no matter how many mentors say, you know, I see something, you know, in you that you don't see in yourself or other people think, well, Jerry could be a good leader. Just, I mean, but you know, those, they're out those outside voices only do so much unless I'm able to ch- change my internal voice. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I finally had the chance to teach leadership and see a model for me was when I finally started to tell myself a different story to say, well, what if I could be a good leader? You know, what would that look like? How would I carry myself? You know, what work would that involve? And now, right now, when you give yourself permission to have possibilities, uh, that's when things start to happen, right? Um, other people, you know, you have this mentality, if I can't, and, you know, the, the call out question is, well, can't or won't, right? Um Ooh yeah yeah and I mean I've been guilty of it myself well I can't do that it's like well can't or won't it's like oh god like don't remind me <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's honest
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah yeah I think one of the questions you brought up before is what if I gave myself or gifted myself permission to be mm-hmm. a great leader yeah. yeah yeah so what and who has helped you become a better leader
2: Oh yeah, I love this question because yeah, people that helped me get to where I am I'm sure they love the shout out but I'm sure they're also embarrassed. They're like, oh
1: geez, Jerry. <laughs> you know?
2: uh, the specific name I will go with is Michael Negretti. Um, he saved my leader. He saved my pharmacy career. And what okay. I mean by that is, uh, you know, I when I was asked to help with a leadership workshop back in 2012 when, you know, life was very uncertain and uh, I happened to get paired up with him and I said, oh, yeah. So excited because I knew him directly. And then, you know, I saw um, the way he brought out the best in me and set me up for success. And, you know, he was, it just, it was just so fun to work alongside him and work hard with him. And after that experience, I had to ask myself, and I think this was key was just to reflect on that and say, you know, what made him so effective at leading me? And I said, he's fun to learn from. He's fun to be around. Um, he's, there's no question about how hard he works. He's always tinkering, always looking for new ways to innovate. Um, He's always collaborating with me. And he would say, oh, Jerry, yeah, overhauled the curriculum for tomorrow's presentation. Could you take a look at this? Like, see what you think and see what you want to take lead on. And I basically internalized a lot of those qualities for myself. You know, obviously I put my own spin on things, but there is no question that he basically was my blueprint. And I, you know, and had I not uh, had that to give me confidence to take on more pharmacy leadership positions, I wouldn't have a career in pharmacy right now. I'd probably be slumming in something else. Like at one point, and I haven't mentioned this on a lot of podcasts, at one, that that summer before or the spring before, I I worked with Michael. I actually applied for a Teach for America position because hey. I didn't have any I didn't have any promising pharmacy jobs on the horizon for me. And yeah, I came this close to mm-hmm. having to transition out earlier than expected.
1: I think that's a beautiful story, and I think what it points to is how important it is to be a leader for other people. And Mm also, and I'm I'm a a repetitive record with this one, positive role models, because Mm -hmm. uh, what we're exposed to through repetition imprints our subconscious. And so the more that we can be at choice and choose who we are influenced by makes a difference with our future actions, our future identity, and our future legacy.
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay. So what are you working on right now in personally developing yourself?
2: Yeah, yeah, gotta gotta stay true to what we're teaching, right? Um, I'm reading all sorts of fun books. Uh, right now, I'm reading a book called Stretch by a, an entrepreneur professor named Scott Sonnenschein and talks about you know, using uh, resourcefulness and not resources. and he has a lot of crazy examples of companies that had an abundance of resources but were so wasteful that they crashed and burned and then other companies that bootstrapped and built very slowly and deliberately. And we you know have a lasting you know, uh, brand now because they were not careless with what, they, they took what they had and they used it as opposed to just wishing they had more or you know, taking out a needless loan or things like that. Uh, there's another great book called Predictably Irrational talking about the ways you know, we neurologically like to um, deceive ourselves, whether it's with confirmation bias or hindsight bias or other things like that. Uh, that's always a fun one, you know, it's great. I got a little, I got a little extra boost out of that. So happy.
1: Good. Good. Yep. And it will build your, uh, what I call your uh, encyclopedia of experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you define integrity and as honoring promises and the willingness to regain trust. And my question is kind of connected to it. um, and, And it is, how do you bounce back and forth? From conflict and having the courage to speak up, but I think what you were referring to in regaining trust is the companies and the leaders that will go back in and clean it up and not just leave it messy. Oh
2: yeah, it's uh, absolutely because at the end of the day, right? um, There's a great example from uh, the Four Conversations book where it talks about a new manager and start just started his job and. Uh, The team he inherited basically was very unresponsive and resentful and he had to pry or get curious and say, hey, guys, what's going on here? Like, I'm not getting a lot of good vibes from you and you guys seem to be upset with me. And they said, well, you know, uh, our previous supervisor who left, um, you know, he had promised us raises, but uh, he obviously left before uh, honoring that promise. And so this guy's like, well, you know, I didn't cause this, but now it's mine to take care of, so I better do something about it, right? And so uh, there's this weird paradox of, well, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not that I'm taking responsibility for someone else's damage, but I am going to take ownership and say, well, you know, if this is if this ball is in my court now, then I need to do something about it, right? If this fire has somehow found its way to my playing field, whether fairly or not um, I need to be sure to do my part to, you know, put it out. And if I'm really wise I want to, to make sure that this won't happen again. Right. Um, that was always been my, you know, goal in the beginning, whenever I got involved in volunteer situations where they asked me to step in and, and, you know, come up with a solution or put out a fire. It's like, okay, what structure do I need to build so that I can leave, without things like falling apart, like a Jenga pile. Right. As soon as you take out that key piece and like just everything just falls apart again, they're like, Jerry, come back and rescue us. you are just like, no, I'm too tired. Like I built a machine for you. So right. I wouldn't have to be here anymore. Right. 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 Yeah.
1: Very good. Very good. Yeah. So embracing your own legacy and we'll wrap up with this. Sure. So a course was set for you, but you decided to write a new narrative.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, my mom had a, what uh, a plan that she thought was pretty good in her eyes, right? Just work for a chain pharmacy for 20 years. And uh, here's this, you know, responsible girl that we've vetted for through our network and, you know, you should be fine and I'll help you, you know, get a house and, you know, I'll be here to help raise your, your kids. And, you know, and that was it. And then, you know, it would have worked if, uh, you know, she, but she had never worked a day for the pharmacy that she told me to work for. So it's like, how are you such an expert on this company when you've never worked a day for them in your life, right? Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's don't get me wrong, it's terrifying. But when you realize the cost of not pursuing uh, what makes yeah. you come alive is, uh, is greater than you ever expected, right? Like regret is a terrible thing. Like I've Ooh. ended several podcasts uh, asking people, what would a life, what would your life look like without regret? And, you know, it's just like mic drop question, right? It's just like, oh, I don't even know. That's a
1: huge question. Yeah. 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 Huh. Okay. So I would say that you've walked the floor now in mm-hmm. initiating your own rite of passage. And again, you've been at this since 2012. So, you know, when people joke about like, oh, it only took me 10 years to be an overnight success. So yeah. you've definitely been working away at uh, your internal landscape, your internal conversations, your internal beliefs. Um, you know, one of the things you've said is a legacy is something you work towards mm-hmm. in that it's something that you would like to pass on. Mm-hmm. So um, do you think leveling the playing field is a part of that legacy? Mm, yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, like we all should have a seat at the table and it's not just, we need to trust that the table is big enough for everyone to have a seat at the table, right? part of that abundance mindset to say, Hey, you know what? Like if and I think that having confidence in an abundant mindset is comes from like other people's willingness to share and be generous, right? When you realize, you know, if everyone's willing to be generous, it's gonna feel like more than enough, I would think. Um, there's yeah. a book some coaches recommended a kids book called Stone Soup, right? And they talk about how like no one wants to share the resource, but then like these uh, foreigners are just like, oh, hey guys, we're gonna make Stone Soup, and they they, and they put these stones and water, and they said, well, Stone Soup needs some carrots. They're like, well, what's that? And then, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's like this magical idea that all of a sudden. these villagers that before what they were just kind of like you know uh they they tighten up their belt because these people are untrustworthy but now all of a sudden they're open and they realize that like if we share uh if we're willing to share in a way where we trust that the other's going to receive it well then somehow we can do something you know several times over what our individual efforts could add up to um you know and it takes some time to learn that because as you know in entrepreneurship there's plenty of sharks in the water but um you know if you learn quickly enough and you and you learn to you know, suss out better, like who, who's, who's worth trusting and worth investing in. Um, I think that's just part of the process. And eventually you have a team that, or a support network that withstands the test of time uh, because they've actually proven that they've been, gonna, after a couple of phone calls, they still wanna be around you.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So do you think you have found your purpose?
2: I believe I have. And I'll, but also add a, and I'll add a caveat that in five years it may change uh, There's okay. a great book called designing your life. And they recently did a spin called designing your work life. And they talk about, you know, how designing a, a well-meaning enjoyable life is an iterative process of uh, your areas of work and love and health and play, you know, what those meant to you in your twenties will not be the same thing in your thirties or your forties or your fifties. And so, as much as I am excited about having a long coaching career, uh, and I do plan to coach because I know how alive it makes me feel when I'm able to pour into other people, I also have to be open to the idea that in five years, even with a successful coaching practice, and I need to make sure, I mean, make sure that's not an accident, right? Um, that you know, I may move on to something else. And yeah. that's okay. To be willing to experiment with that is really the biggest thing, right? Because if you told me in my twenties that, oh, like you're going to be a leadership coach, it's going to be awesome. Like no one even knew what that was like 15 or 20 years ago. They're like coaching that's unless you're an athlete, like why would I need a coach? Right. But we all, all, all need coaches for sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. yes. yeah.
1: And I think one of the reasons why coaching is so controversial is it's mm-hmm. one thing if let's say that you're advising an athlete on the playing field, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, but when you start to coach someone's life, the ripple effects of those who are around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So to close, what values do you get to honor by coaching around the subject of navigating conflict?
2: Yeah. um, The values that I love are respect, um, both for yourself and for others. Um, You know, the values are uh, integrity, uh, not just for not just from a moral standpoint, not just from a religious standpoint, but also from a vision and a legacy standpoint. Like that's why my, my own framework for leadership involves like the heart of it is integrity, because if you don't have integrity in your vision, integrity in your communication, integrity in uh, how you develop others, like they're not going to last. So yeah. So closure and integrity and respect. And um, yeah, just the, I guess creativity as well just the willingness to experiments and and be okay with with the fact that things may not work out but you know you have that grit I guess it's another one I have to be careful not to list I could list 20 of them but let me start okay with those five let me start with those five uh, okay. just to be focused on what's essential right so yeah respect integrity um design or create slash creativity and then grit and then um, yeah what else did I say um <laughs> we can replay it, but yeah, four those four or five should be, you know, those are the ones that I that I hope people look at my life and people say, you know what, yeah, uh, I, I want to do what he's doing, right? Not to take over for me, but that they would enjoy the same benefits that I have just by, by, by finding my purpose and and uh, and building meaningful relationships for sure.
1: Yes, and to be inspired and also to be educated by your knowledge and experiences. Yes, yeah. just tell me one more time what you'd like your legacy to be.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me get, let me distill it down into one sentence. Uh, my legacy will be for people to say something like Jerry helped me become a better leader for myself and the people important to me.
1: Bravo. Yeah. Dr. Fu, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. And thank you for making the subject of conflict resolution and navigating that a visible Conversation for our consciousness, both for corporate America, uh, for Asian Americans, for the culture of Asians as they move forward, whether it's in the business world, in politics, that you are a resource and you are bringing forward um, your coaching skills you know that you've learned, whether it's through the Coaches Training Institute or other schools or your future book. soon to be published to help in this area. Because again, I think you're speaking into an experience and also speaking into a need. And I think that as the demographics change, what you know will become very useful and pragmatic. So thank you so much, Dr. Fu. And any final closing thoughts?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll do my best not to make this sound cliche or contrived. Uh, Just to ask you guys, we'll end with a coaching question because this is what we love, you know, Um, What's your next action having heard our conversation? So let's just do that. See what you do with what we've given you so far.
1: Beautiful. Okay. Mm -hmm. And on that note, please like and subscribe and share with your family and friends. And until our next legacy conversation, keep defining, developing, and executing your legacy. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye.